0: Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. If you brought a Bible with you today or you have a Bible app on your mobile device, I'm going to ask that you turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter number 28. And uh, this morning, as I mentioned, we're kicking off a brand new series the title of this series is called Go, and if you are familiar with Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and the admonition to go, you will recognize that this series is about evangelism, and more specifically, it's going to be about the Great Commission. In fact, Matthew 28, 19 reads this way, it says, uh, Jesus actually says, go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this right here, this text right here, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ for any length of time, this is a a text that you're familiar with. This is one of those texts that you know. Uh, this is one of the ones that gets shared often in church. This is one of the ones that's the foundational text that Christians talk about um, over and over again. And so, going and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the rest of the world is just kind of like intrinsic to what we what we what we know. And so this text and consequently in this series um You know, are both about Jesus calling for his followers to go into the world to share the hope uh, and the healing of Jesus Christ and make disciples of all the nations, which, by the way, uh, became widely known as the Great Commission in the 19th century, thanks in large part to the missionary Hudson Taylor, who popularized the phrase that we use, uh, the Great Commission. Now, this morning, uh, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to kind of jump in here and I'm just going to give you the bottom line of where we're going to go in this series. I'm just going to lay it all out for you right up front and uh, right up front i'm just going to tell you what the goal of this series is and the goal of this series is simply to help you to better understand what the great commission is all about and 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 then what this text means for you as a follower of christ that's it right there. The goal for our time together over the next several weeks is to dig deep into this text in an effort for you to understand better and with more clarity what the Great Commission is all about. And based on that, ask the question, what does that mean for me uh, and, and for my family as individuals? And, and how do we take this text and apply it to our lives you know, as we follow Jesus Christ? Now, uh, you might think, well, that seems like a simplistic goal. I mean, I mean, Jesus was pretty clear. He said, go Therefore, make disciples of nations. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? Uh, I mean, it's straightforward. I mean, the church is supposed to spread the gospel around the world, right? I I mean, that's the point. Isn't that what evangelism is about? I mean, it's kind of simple. And you're right, it is simple. Okay? It's absolutely simple. And you're also right that Jesus says to go and make disciples of the nations. But the truth is, and this is where I want to challenge you a little bit this, uh, the next few weeks, is that in the simplicity of the way that we see this text, something has actually gotten lost in the way that we read and understand the words of Jesus here. Something's gotten lost in the way that we look at this text that has come to be known as the Great Commission. And let me just tell you why. Uh, if I were to ask you to just take a moment and close your eyes, and just take a moment and visualize what you think that, that, that evangelism means, or what what the Great Commission is all about, okay, this for many of you would what, what you visualize the Great Commission looks like, okay. Some of you would see. You know this as evangelism—a stadium full of people who've come to hear an inspirational evangelical message by some preacher or an evangelist, and then hundreds of and thousands of people come to make a public profession of faith, and uh, and then this happens—you know—at events like Harvest Crusade, you know, done by Greg Laurie or 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 uh, Billy Graham's evangelistic uh, events. Um, and, and and we and many people see this as the great commission you know a professional evangelist or an itinerant preacher shows up at a venue whether it's a big stadium or even a small local church and they come and they preach his heart gospel message, and then people respond to that message by putting their faith in Christ, and then the evangelist moves on to the next venue or crusade. And, and many people in America see this as evangelism. In fact, um, there are evangelists whose sole ministry is to preach in small Baptist churches like ours. And that's what they do for a living. They travel from one town to the next preaching a, a evangelistic uh, message, hoping that church members would invite a bunch of their, their unsaved friends, and basically. Based on that, and based on you know how how the message strikes them, that they would then turn and make a decision for Christ. And, and again, that's how many people see the Great Commission, you know, being played out. And, and if that's not your mental image of what evangelism is, and perhaps this is it. Another way that people see evangelism and the Great Commission being played out in our modern world, many people visualize street preaching and street witnessing. And, and, and they think of outreach and evangelism in this way. They think of people dedicated to going out into the public square and passing out Bible tracts and holding up signs or standing on a street hor- uh, corner with a bullhorn preaching about Jesus or even you know going door to door to invite people to church. This is the picture that many people have when they think about the Great Commission and evangelizing the world. Now, Maybe that's not you. Maybe you have evangelize. Maybe you see evangelism this way, right here. Missionaries, you know, like Hudson Taylor or, or Ryan and Sarah Case, heeding a call from God to go into some foreign land and to share the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ to an unreached people group, you know, uh, somewhere else in the world. Many people visualize the, the mission field or a third world country or a p- pagan society, and they visualize, you know, a special breed of people who will leave all the comforts of home, you know, behind in order to get into the trenches for the cause of Christ in some foreign land. This is the picture that many people get, you know, when you know from this text this idea of the great commission. And let me be clear, these three examples are all every one of them relevant ways to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. They are certainly all valid to take the gospel of Jesus into the world in an effort to evangelize the lost. These three have value. There's value in an effort to organize a rally uh, or a service for the purpose of spreading the good news of Jesus. There's value in going into the public square for the purpose of creating a conversation so you can share Jesus with someone else that hasn't heard it before. There is huge value in sending forth missionaries around the world in an effort to share the gospel with unreached peoples. In fact, that's why we support, you know, here at First Baptist Church, The case family and and 12 other missionaries around the world because we see value in that okay these three common images that people have when they think about the great commission and that they think about evangelism are absolutely relevant and valuable as it relates to sharing the hope and the healing of jesus christ with other people but we need to get really clear about something Okay, and what we need to get clear about is these three things. Even though that they they're relevant and valuable, these three things are not themselves the Great Commission. Okay, let me say that again: rallies and meetings and evangelistic uh, crusades are not the Great Commission. Street preaching and tract distribution and street witnessing uh, are not the Great Commission. Missions and mission fields and, and dedicated missions, missionaries who go out. You know, as much as we love them, they are not the Great Commission. They're not. Okay? That might be a surprise to you. That might even offend you a little bit. Okay? But these things themselves are not the Great Commission. They're not. But rather, what they are is they are responses by certain people to the Great Commission. And they're the manifestation of how people respond to being obedient to the Great Commission. These three things are responses to the call to go and make disciples. But if they are not the Great Commission itself, then what are they? Okay? They're not the Great Commission itself. And the distinction here is important, and here's why. Because the truth is, if these three things are the Great Commission, if they are the sum total of the Great Commission, if that's all there is, are these three things are spreading the gospel, then the Great Commission and evangelism itself are just simply activities that are done by a select few gifted people out of the church... To spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. And that's what the Great Commission is reduced down to for many people. That's all there is. That the Great Commission is an effort to share the gospel, you know, uh, simply becomes the work of of specialists, specialists in the church who have the call on their life or the gift of evangelism. You know, that's what it becomes. And, And you know, that's exactly the picture that many people have in the Christian world today, okay? Here in America especially, there's this idea that there are particular types of people who do the work of evangelism. And then the rest of us do something else. That's what many people believe. You have evangelists and preachers and street witnesses and missionaries. And it's their job to go out into the world and share the message of Jesus Christ with other people. It's their job to go out and win souls. It's their Job to bring in the harvest. It's their job to, to help the church grow. It's their job to tell people about Jesus and to make converts. And everyone else in the church then are just simply called to be supporters and cheerleaders. Everybody else's job is to sweep floors and count offerings and sing in the worship team and even maybe even help out, you know, with the nursery. Everyone else's job is simply to support the church and missionaries financially. Everybody else, you know, is, their job is just to, to cheer on the few brave soul winners and those who are in full-time vocational ministry, especially those who go out into the world. And that's how we see it. You have people who, who do the work of evangelism, and then you have the rest of us. And many people will say things, well, you know, My gift is is comforting people. That's my gift. I'm, I'm not an evangelist. My gift is administration. My gift is teaching. My gift is hospitality. As if these gifts themselves mean that we don't have to take responsibility to share the gospel. That we don't have to take an active part in going out and making disciples. That's the kind of picture that many of us have. But is that really what Jesus had in mind when he told his disciples to go? Is that what he had in mind when he said, go make disciples of the nations? Did Jesus just have a few select people in mind when he said "You know, said this? Did Jesus start kind of a noble class of people whose job it is to go and evangelize the world and everyone else was just to adopt a supporting role? Well, let's just take some time this morning and let's just look at the text and examine it up close to see what Jesus is actually saying in this text. In fact, turn with me to Matthew 28. We're going to begin in verse 16. And we'll just read this together. It says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now let's just take a moment and let's just look at this one verse at a time. Because one of the things that we need to keep in mind here is that this passage of Scripture, like all Scripture, actually has a context. This passage of Scripture has a context that it fits into. And so it's important to identify that in order for us to understand that context, we need to dig into this passage. So let's let's start with the historical context, okay, where we are in history. And where we are in the narrative of the book of Matthew is Jesus has already been arrested, he has already been tried, he's already been crucified, and he's already risen from the dead. And Jesus has already presented himself to his disciples, proving to them that he is indeed the Messiah and that he is in fact God in the flesh. And so this meeting on the mountainside happens shortly after that. Now, one of the things that we need to be clear about is this event is not the same event that's recorded in Acts where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit and then ascends into heaven. Because Jesus ascended into heaven about 40 days after. Okay, He spends about 40 days with his disciples. So this event that we're talking about here takes place shortly after the resurrection. In fact, probably within about two weeks. Okay, And so so it's Jesus's, you know, it's before his final meeting with his disciples, and it's before he ascends into heaven. Now, at this point in the story, I want you to notice what it says here. It says, now the 11 disciples, because obviously there's one less, because uh, Judas betrayed Christ and then killed himself. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to a mountain to which Jesus had directed him, directed them. So the remaining disciples went to this particular mountain in Galilee that Jesus told them, To meet him on. So basically they disappointed with Jesus. On a certain day. On this mountain in Galilee. And then verse 17 it says. And when they saw him. They worshipped him. But some doubted. Now this is an important place to stop. Because um, this right here. This is an important text. For us to actually get our heads wrapped around. And actually examine. It says. When they saw him. Some worshipped. I mean it said. That when they saw him. They worshipped him. But some doubted. Now this right here. This should cause you to stop and ask, well who doubted? I mean who could possibly be doubting here? I mean think about this, Jesus had already appeared to his disciples in person before this day, proving that he's come back from the dead. In fact, he's presented himself to, to most of his disciples shortly after he rose, but he didn't appear to Thomas at first. And Thomas said about hearing of the resurrected Christ, he says, unless I see you know, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. That's doubting Thomas. And then eight days later, Jesus shows up again, presents himself to, to Thomas, and do you remember what he said what thomas said to him because thomas upon seeing the, the the resurrected jesus cries out my lord and my god he recognizes that jesus is not only risen from the dead but he is god incarnate god in the flesh so thomas the doubter doubts no more and so all the disciples shortly after jesus was raised completely believed in him so the question you have to ask then is who are the doubters then in this story it can't be the 11. They've witnessed the res- res- the resin that Jesus Christ, they've, they've, they've spent time with him. So it can't be them. They've already been in his presence. They've seen his glorified body. Even other disciples, including Mary Magdalene, have seen him. So if it's not the 11 disciples, then who's doubting here? What, what does that mean? Well, I can only mean one thing. It means that there was somebody else there that day. There's somebody else there, you know, doubting the risen Christ, which means there must be other people at this meeting, which stands to reason because think about this. If Jesus was simply going to meet with his 11 disciples, he would just appear to them in a room privately like he's done before. That's not what he does here. He meets them, the disciples, in an open air meeting place, a public forum on the side of a mountain. Why would Jesus do such a thing? Why would he meet his his followers in such a venue? Because it was on the side of a mountain where Jesus liked to preach to large crowds. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? We just talked about that. It's the same kind of setting. You see, Jesus' 11 disciples are not meeting Jesus for a private meeting to talk about the strategy of the church. They're meeting Jesus in a public place where he's about to proclaim publicly what his instructions are. There are a lot of people at this meeting. In fact, many historians believe that this is the exact same event that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 15.6. Where he says, then Jesus, or he, Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Many Bible and church historians believe that over 500 people were there at this meeting along with the 11 disciples. And think about this. With this perspective in mind, verse 17 When it says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, that suddenly fits the historical context because the 11 disciples believe. And there were some in the crowd who then doubted. Now, why is this important? Well, this is important because this information helps us to determine the immediate context of this text. Because if you remember, the immediate context is determined by three questions. Who's talking, who are they talking to, and what are they talking about? Well, we know from this passage that Jesus is the one that's going to do the talking when he talks about the Great Commission. But who's he going to be talking to? Well, this is an important question. Because there are some people who are going to argue that the Great Commission that Jesus gives you know, in this text to, to spread the gospel around the world was a commandment only given to the disciples, the 11 disciples. That the Great Commission isn't for all Christians. Only a select few who are called to go. You know, the, the, ministry stup- the ministry superstars like the apostles. But what we learn from the historical context that this story, that they are not just 11 disciples there, they are like 500 people here. And Paul calls them brothers, which means that they're believers, though some of them may have doubted at first. So who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the crowd. He's talking to them all. He tells them all to go make disciples of all nations. This is hugely important, because if Jesus wanted to simply anoint 11 guys for the work of of evangelism, he could have done that in a private room somewhere. But he doesn't do that. He takes the message to a crowd of 500 people, because this commission, the great commission, isn't for a select few. It's for everyone. Now look at verse 18. Jesus said, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay? Now, this is an important point because Jesus makes a point to let them know, the crowd know, that he is endowed with all authority over everything and that the, the resurrection from, from the dead is his proof of that. Now, this, this is further evidence that he's talking to the crowd because this is the point. This is a point that the disciples already know. Okay? Jesus doesn't have to tell them. That that he has all authority. He's the Messiah. They already know that he's the Messiah. They already know he's God in the flesh. They already know that he's the way, the truth, and the life. They already know that he has all authority both in heaven and on earth. And so Jesus isn't telling the 11 disciples all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's telling the crowd, particularly those who are doubting. He's telling the crowd of 500 people that I have the authority given to me over everything and everyone. And I'm telling you what you need to do. You need to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, in essence, is telling the crowd, I'm the risen Messiah. I've been given total authority over everything and everyone. I'm telling you, you need to get busy sharing the good news about me. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, I want to back up, though. I want to look a little more closely exactly exactly what Jesus is saying here. In fact, let's look at this first part of verse 19. Jesus says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." This part of the passage right here. This part of the passage right here is actually the cause of most of our misunderstandings. Okay? And how we see and how to apply this entire text. And let me explain why. In English, what we do is we take the phrase and we break it down into two imperatives, two action steps. The first is to go. The second is to make disciples. And so the idea is that we must first purposely go out into the world for the directed, specific focus on making disciples. That we're to go out into the world specifically for that. And this understanding that we get from the English language influences how we then interpret this text. Because this understanding of go you know, and make disciples... <clears throat> It fits our perspective you know, of, of evangelists and, and, and the work that they're called to do and to go and travel the world and hold meetings and go to other countries. That they're the ones to go and make disciples because not everybody can do that. Not everybody has the time, talent, and resources to go and do that. But what we need to do is we need to look actually at where we get the text. Let me share something with you. In the Greek text, okay, which this language was written in, The phrase only actually has one imperative. It doesn't have two. It only has one imperative. And that imperative is to make disciples. That's the imperative. The imperative is not go. You need to understand that the focus of this phrase is not going, but rather disciple-making. That's the focus. The whole focus of the phrase is disciple-making. In fact, the idea that we have in the text that we translate as go actually is, is a passive kind of understanding you know the imperative is not to go into the world and evangelize actually it's passive language here it's the idea that you know it's an idea that's different than that the picture is different than that what jesus in essence is saying is as you go that's a difference as you go make disciples of the nations as you go from town to town make disciples as you travel and see your family as you go abroad in other countries as you go to work as you carry on with your daily activities as you live your life go and make disciples of all the nations it's a completely different idea the idea is that no matter where you are or what you're doing or or who you are you go and make disciples now, does that doesn't mean we're to stop sending missionaries around the world no some what that means. What this means is that the Great Commission in evangelism is actually bigger than missionaries. It's bigger than street preaching. It's bigger than evangelical meetings and rallies. It means that in addition to these things we need to be making disciples as we go. The Great Commission isn't just about a select few people going into the world to spread the good news. The Great Commission is about all of us. All of us spreading the good news as we go. There's something else I want you to notice in this phrase. Notice Jesus doesn't say go into all the world and evangelize the world. He doesn't say go into the world and make converts of the world. He doesn't say go into the world and get people to make a decision for Christ. It says go into the world and make disciples. Make disciples. That's a whole lot bigger Than evangelism. That's a whole lot bigger than just helping someone make a decision or a choice for Christ. That's that's bigger than helping them just to get saved. Making disciples absolutely implies evangelism. That's certainly part of it. It's the starting point. But it's just the beginning. There's so much more. Jesus said make disciples. To make followers who grow into maturity. We're to make Christ apprentices. That's how we're supposed to do this. This whole There's a whole lot more to this than just preaching a gospel message and getting someone to make a choice. In fact, Jesus even tells us how to make disciples. He says, Go thwart, therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So disciple-making really involves three things. The first is helping them to make a decision to follow Christ. I mean, we need to help someone to choose Christ and to be saved, which means we need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. We need to tell them the bad news of their sin, and we need to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And, there, and there's certainly a lot of ways we can do that give them books, invite them to church, invite them to, you know, an evangelistic uh, event. We can we can street witness to people. We can talk to people at work. We can share Jesus with people in lots of different ways. But all those efforts must lead them to make a decision to accept Christ as their Savior and then begin to follow Him. The second step then is baptism. We need to help people once they make a decision for Christ. We need to help them to take that decision public. We need to help them to make a public profession of faith. Getting baptized is a public profession of the faith on their part, and it's their entrance into the local body of believers. It's their entrance into the local community of believers. And this is important because it's the local body of believers, the local church that helps them with the next part, which is the teaching. Jesus says we're to teach these disciples to do what he commanded. Well, what did Jesus command? Well, Jesus commanded us that we should love the Lord. Our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ as Christ loved us. We're even to love our enemies and and, and be good to them and, and bless those and, and bre- to bless them and pray for them. And we're to be gracious and merciful and compassionate and forgiving and holy as our God in heaven is gracious, and, is merciful and and and, and 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 compassionate and forgiving and holy. That's what Jesus calls us to teach them. You see, making disciples is a lot more than just handing out Bible tracts and approaching people on the street and asking them if they if they believe in some pre tribulation rapture. Making disciples is a lot more than, than, than taking someone to listen to a hotshot preacher or an evangelist so that they can hear the gospel message. Making disciples, which is exactly what the Great Commission is all about, is a gigantic task. It's a lifelong task. It requires time and effort and love and patience disciples requires that we ourselves grow in our walk with God so we can teach and train other people to follow Jesus. You see, making disciples is such a big job that it cannot possibly be about a few gifted individuals. It cannot possibly be about a few individuals who, who take you know, their time to go into vocational, full-time ministry. Making disciples is such a big job that we all, every one of us need to take part in it. We all have a responsibility to make disciples. That's why Jesus wasn't addressing a handful of chosen disciples. He was addressing a crowd of people. Some who doubted. And he said to them, as you go in your life, get busy making disciples. Every one of you. That's the heart of the Great Commission. The heart of the Great Commission is the entire body of believers going out into the world making disciples of other people. That's the heart of the Great Commission. And so evangelism and the Great Commission are not simply about a few gifted and talented people. The Great Commission is about you and about me. It's about all of us. It's about every one of us in this room. It's about every Christian in the entire world. The Great Commission is about every single believer. Now, this is typically the point in the message where you know, I ask people to imagine. You know, to imagine, you know, how things would be in our church if we did something, you know, uh, if we, we took serious, you know, something. Well, imagine, you know, how it would be for us to to make disciples. I mean, how, how would things be different in our communities is what we typically ask, right? How would things be? family if we took it seriously. But what if you do this particular thing now? How does it change our community? Well, what if you and I and you and you and you took seriously the challenge to go and to share the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ as you went in your life with at least one other human being? How would that affect our community? How would that change our church? How would that change our community? If everybody in here would just go out and make one disciple Does that change things? You understand that? You understand the impact of that? You see, you individually have to stop looking at the Great Commission and stop looking at changing the world and the community. It's this big, overwhelming idea. That it's this big, overwhelming thing that needs to be done. But instead, you need to take responsibility for your part in it. You need to take responsibility for your part in this. Your responsibility isn't to change the entire world. Your responsibility is to change the life of one person that you come in contact with and to share the hope and the healing that comes from the only source of hope and healing, and that's Jesus Christ. Your responsibility is to talk to them and to love them and to build that relationship with them and invite them to get plugged into this congregation or whatever congregation that's Bible-believing and help them to begin to walk with God. In fact, let me just ask you a question. If everyone here made one disciple, how would that impact us? Well, if everybody here made one disciple, it would double. It would double the people that are plugged into this church. Think about that. Okay, so it's not not one person doing all that. It's everybody doing a little bit. If everybody was to make one disciple, it'd double the people that are plugged into this church. How do you think that would affect this community if we were to unleash 50 more Christ followers out on this community? It would be a huge change. you got to understand that. That's the power. It changes everything. You see, changing the world in our community and in our church isn't some mythical idea. Okay? Because it's actually something that we can do and something we should do. It's something that we are all called to do. We just need to get busy doing it. And here's the thing, you don't have to, to think in terms of, you know, I have to change the entire world. We just have to focus on bringing one person into saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We just have to have one person meet the risen King, Jesus Christ, in a way that changes and transforms him from the inside out. And then what we need to do is we need to help that person publicly get into the body of Christ getting them baptized. And we need to help that person get plugged into a community of believers so they can learn to do what Jesus commanded us to do. And you might think, well, Sherman, I don't know how to do that. I don't even know where to begin. Well, that's that's okay. Because that's exactly what this series is all about. And we're going to spend the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about that. I'm going I'm I'm to give you some very simple ways to do that. We're going to get really, really practice, practical. Okay, We're going to give you some, some, some ideas so you can live and walk this out. You see, there over time have been tried and tested ways that you can minister and love on people. In a way that they can see the love of Jesus shining in our community. And that will help them to want a desire to be a part of that. That's what this series is about. We're going to help you to do your part and share Jesus with the people. But we will talk about that beginning next week. We're going to start that part next week. But for this week, as of today, for today, before we start thinking about the how part of it. Today, what you need to do. What you need to do more than anything else right now is you need to accept personal responsibility for your part in this. You need to accept a personal responsibility for your part in sharing the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with the rest of the world. You don't need to accept, you know, changing the entire world and evangelizing the entire world personally. But what you need to do is you need to take personal responsibility. For your part and make a commitment to that today. Today, make a commitment to doing your part. And your part is to go out and share the good news of Jesus with someone else. You see, most Christians, and this is the basic truth, okay? It's the basic truth. Most Christians will not help another person get saved. Here in America, you have to understand that. That's the travesty of what's happening in, in the church at large. Most Christians do not go out and share their faith with someone else. They do not help someone else enter the kingdom of God. That is a tragedy. And to make things worse, there are those who actually do go out and share their faith, but they're so obnoxious and so in your face and so arrogant that nobody wants to listen to them anyway. And so the results are the same. It doesn't have to be this way though. It doesn't have to be that way at all. Because let me just tell you the truth. You, all of you, have within you the God-given ability to relate to and to speak to and to share with another human being. You have all the tools. In fact, the promise that Jesus made in the book of Acts, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the, to the, end of the earth. And you might say, well, Sherman, well, that that was what the Holy Spirit descended on them and gave them some supernatural powers You know, that was specific to that time. And you're right. But let me tell you something. What I know about you when you put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And the Holy Spirit is at work inside of you. And He has the ability to strengthen you and to give you all that you need to share the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone else. You've got to understand that. You have everything you need. It's just the reason you haven't done that is because you haven't decided to do it. you got to understand that too. There's nothing but it has everything to do with your desire to be obedient to this command that Jesus has for us right now. Jesus is calling you out and telling you that you need to be a part of this and to sell out and to get in the fold. Evangelism is your job. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the missionary's job. It is your job too. And the reason why you haven't evangelized anyone else is because you haven't decided To be obedient to that call it has nothing at all to do with your abilities the reason why you haven't evangelized someone else the reason why you've not helped someone else enter into the kingdom of god and have a saving knowledge of jesus christ is because you it's not because you don't have the ability because you absolutely have the ability you have all you have to do is just be obedient to the call it's that simple you have the ability because the holy spirit is within you you just need to be obedient to the call Because you have within you the ability to share Christ with someone else. The Holy Spirit will absolutely fill in the gaps where you fall short. The Holy Spirit will give you the opportunities. The Holy Spirit will help you and give you the strength and the knowledge and the wisdom to know what to say and what to do in order for the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to flow out of your life into the life of someone else. And we all know that this is something he's commanding us to do. And again, we talk about these commandments that Jesus gave. That we're to follow You know, and pursue and do. The question is, are we willing to follow where Christ leads and do the things that Christ calls us to do? Are we willing to be obedient to the one who even called us out of the darkness in the first place? Will we actually be willing to follow him? I mean, how do you follow someone if you're not willing to be obedient? I mean, Jesus himself asked the question we just recently discussed. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why would you call Jesus your Lord and not obey what he says? Because he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Well, what did he command us to do? He commanded us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves. He he even commanded us to love our enemies. He commanded us to be good to other believers. And then he commanded us to go and make disciples and share the good news with your community and your friends and our world. And then he says, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the part we like about that text, right? I mean, if you ask Christians, you know, you know, is Jesus with you always? They say, yes. And how do you know that? Well, it says right there. And they want to accept that part. They forget to accept the part right before that. See, Jesus has commanded you to get in the fold. It's your job. The Great Commission is your job as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's how you bear fruit for Jesus, is to get busy bearing fruit. You have within you the ability to change the world individually. We have the ability to change the world corporately. And let me just help drive this home. We have the ability to change the world around us and not just talk about it and not just complain about it and not gripe about it and not just worry about it. We have the ability to change us, change it. We just need to get busy doing it. We need to get busy sharing it. We need to get busy building those relationships that cause others to want to know more about Jesus. We need to take it seriously. It needs to become a part of who we are. It needs to become a part of our personal mission statement. We have to decide that we're going to get involved in this. This can't be something we just hear and then set aside. Hello, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Oh, and that guy, he's the one that goes and evangelizes, right? That guy, gonna send him out to go talk to people. I'm just gonna sit here and I'm gonna finance the church with my work efforts. No. We're all called to give and support the local church. We're all called to gather for worship. We're all called to serve in ministry inside the church serving other believers. We're all called to apologetics. But we're all also every one of us, every single one of us, called to the Great Commission. We are all called to evangelism. We are all called to make disciples. Now we're not all called to be Billy Graham. We're not all called to be Greg Laurie. We're not all called to be John Piper. We're not all called to be Ryan Case. But we are all called, every single one of us, we're called to be involved in the Great Commission. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a Christ follower, then you are 100% to work towards changing the world by making disciples. It is your job. Is all of our job. I want you to think about this, though. If every one of you in this congregation just decided to be obedient, if every one of you went out and just made one additional disciple, what would happen to this church? We talked about it. The membership would double in no time. Think about this. If that number would double in this congregation, what happens if we help other congregations do the same thing? What happens if we unleash on this community 50 more sold-out Christ followers who are willing to storm the gates of hell and wholeheartedly follow Jesus? How does that change our community? It changes everything. You see, that's the power right there to change the entire world around us. The Great Commission is the power to change lives and change the world. And that's what we are all called to get involved in. So today... I'm going to wrap this series, the first part of this series up. I'm just going to challenge you. All I'm going to do is just challenge you to decide this week. Just decide. Make the decision to accept responsibility for your part. You know this is what Christ is calling you to do, so I'm just asking you, just say yes, Lord. That's what you need to do. That's what, what a disciple does. He just says, yes, Lord. Accept responsibility. I challenge you to be obedient and go make disciples. Let me pray for you. Father, we just... We thank you for how hard-hitting your, your word is in our lives. We thank you for, Lord, the clarity of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you thought of us enough to save us. And then you give us the opportunity to, to participate in that. And I just pray, Lord God, we would just be motivated. We'd be motivated by our salvation to want to help others get saved. We'd be motivated by our love for Jesus to want to see others to come to know you. That we'd be motivated to give our hearts and lives to you in every facet. And that we would... Go share the love and the hope and the healing of Jesus with someone else. I pray for this congregation. I pray, Lord, that as we go out, Lord, that you would just inspire us to this. And I pray that you would raise up in this congregation a a people who are so passionate about your name that they would storm our community and the gates of hell, and they would see lives changed and souls won and marriages put back together, that drug addicts would be redeemed that thieves would find gainful employment, that we would see children not be abused anymore, that we would see that this community would be a beacon of hope in the world around us. That's what we pray for. And we pray for Ryan Case and his family and the work that they're doing. And we just it just reminds us he's going to go all the way to another part of the world to go share the gospel of Jesus. And if he can do that, then we can certainly share the light of Jesus with the people that we come in contact with around us. We thank you, Lord. We just praise your name. In this name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.